0: Okay, Dr. David Hanscom, welcome to Arash's World. We have here a distinguished guest today, and uh, we're going to talk about many interesting things. Uh, I'd like you to welcome to Arash's World, and um, I'd like you to start off maybe just giving us a brief introduction uh, about what you do and uh, anything you'd like to share before we dive into uh, different discussions and many questions that I have for you as well.
1: Okay. Um, I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon. I practiced for 32 years, and I was a complex spine surgeon doing the worst of the worst cases. But much of my practice was dealing with patients who had multiple surgeries. I think the record patient I had was 29 surgeries in 20 years, another one, 28 surgeries in 25 years. And so my role is to try to take these poor people and salvage them after they had surgery after surgery after surgery. But when I looked at the original first scan that started the cascade of surgeries, Most of the time that first surgery should never have been done. But I was one of those surgeons for eight years, I practiced aggressive spine surgery. When I moved to Seattle, we were doing nine times the rate of spine surgery as anybody else in the country per capita. And I was one of those people. But in 1993, the data showed that the success rate for a back fusion for back pain was about 22%. So I just immediately stopped. I did not know what to do. About that time I went into chronic pain myself for another 13 years and it was miserable. I had 17 different symptoms, I was miserable with chronic pain, I did not know what had happened to me, I did not know my way out of it, and I came out of it by accident, in around 2003, it took me another five years to figure out what happened, even a little bit, then the last five years of neuroscience research have been very clear as to the nature of chronic pain, what the problem is, and what the solution is. So I wrote a book called Back in Control, a Surgeon's roadmap out of chronic pain. And then I also developed what's called the DOC journey, the direct your own care journey, which we're releasing this month, which is a concise set of lessons that helps people come out of chronic pain more and more quickly. So I'll finish this by saying that chronic pain in the medical profession is considered unsolvable. And I would tell you that it is definitely solvable and consistently solvable. And I actually quit my practice two years ago to do this full time because I've seen so many patients being badly damaged by su- spine surgery and so many people getting better with minimal risk and cost that I, d- I just felt compelled to quit. Okay, there's was- a so
0: wonderful introduction here that gives us here the background. And usually, so we would expect a surgeon to encourage more surgery. So, so that, is, that is quite a, a fresh perspective here. But chronic pain is something. That is affecting many people. And I agree with you. I think there is a solution to it. For me, it uh, was an inspiration. When it actually, for me, when the quest started for me, was when I read uh, a book called It's All in Your Head by Dr. Susan O'Sullivan where she talks about psychosomatic uh, disorders and that they often show themselves in in chronic pain and that people have these symptoms, but they cannot find out any biological reason for it. So there seems to be more than just the the body of the problem itself. And so um, for me personally, I think a lot of the issue is Uh, a lot of the chronic pain has a tie and link with emotions and with states of emotions as well as stress. So can
1: I I coach you a little bit on this one? Yes, please. So the answer is you're basically right. But what what I would like to do is sort of clean up the language a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. so the way you develop physical and mental symptoms is that when your circumstances or your stresses overwhelm your coping capacity, you're under threat, right? So in this situation, you're secreting adrenaline, cortisol, but also the immune system is firing off what's called cytokines, and so your your immune system responds. So when you're under sustained threat or under sustained stress, your body's inflamed and you actually develop chronic disease. So it turns out that the mental pain is a bigger problem than the physical pain because they go to the same part of the brain. So you have an emotional or emotional threat versus a physical threat they're actually processed in the same way. And so the symptom is sort of your body's choice of symptoms. So it turns out that anxiety, depression, bipolar, obsessive compulsive disorder are all inflammatory disorders. It turns out psychology is, and then it also turns out that Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cardiovascular disease, obesity, diabetes are all inflammatory disorders. In other words, under chronic threat, your body's full of, full of inflammatory chemicals and it destroys the tissues including your brain because we also know in chronic pain people's brains physically shrink so to me chronic pain is just one manifestation of chronic disease and again again, the reason why the mental pain is a bigger problem than the physical threat is because you cannot escape your thoughts so to me chronic pain is a disease of consciousness Mm -hmm. so your thoughts are creating a chemical reaction you Mm -hmm. cannot escape your thoughts and what's even worse than expressed unpleasant thoughts is repressed thoughts and emotions. Absolutely. So basically you were correct in what you just said, but we don't, I, I've also dropped the word mind, body now, and also psychosomatic because it's just a unit. So the brain does not exist without the body. The body doesn't exist without the brain. And it turned out that that in the evolutionary process, that the thinking part of the brain is about 100,000 years old compared to hundreds of millions of years of evolution. So the nervous system is actually a late development that started connecting cells together and started interpreting the signals. So then human consciousness is only about 100,000 years old. And so then there is a reverse process where your consciousness creates a chemical reaction. But the final thing I want to say with this little section here is that People say psychosomatic, which means that there's nothing wrong, right?
0: I would not say that. I mean, that's what people, the perception that people have, right?
1: right. And so I the, agree if, with you in the
0: sense that that's why people see it, but the, the pain they feel is real. So well, it's, it's real uh, suffering in that sense, yeah.
1: Well, this is really upsetting to me because what's happening now is that everything's wrong, right? I mean, your body's full of adrenaline, and cortisol, and inflammatory markers. Every cell in your body reacts to this chemical bath, an inflammatory bath. Your metabolism, or the rate you you burn fuel, is elevated. That's why your brain shrinks, because your body's stealing fuel from your brain cells, for goodness sake. The actual glial cells, or the supporting cells in your brain, are actually throwing off inflammatory proteins. So your brain's inflamed, you're chewing up your brain, you're chewing up your tissues. So when the doctors say there's nothing wrong, that it's that could not be further from the truth. Your entire body is on fire. It's like driving your car down the freeway in second gear. Everything's wrong.
0: I, I love the uh, metaphor, the analogy of the frog in boiling water. And mm-hmm. so the idea is if you keep like piling up stress and stress at some point, the water gets too hot and frog would jump out, you know, right. that would be a natural reaction. However, with toxic stress and chronic stress, it's something that builds up and builds up but in many cases, we don't deal with it. We don't know how to deal with it, perhaps. Right. Our, our doctors give us prescriptions to treat for the symptoms, but not the root causes. And then you get basically the explosion and the, the, the pressure cooker that cannot handle the stress anymore. It's up in, in an outburst. And that's when you would get diseases in, in various parts of your body. So I think that getting to the root causes of dealing with that fear of feeling safe And getting rid of those toxins, the toxic chemicals that you're talking about, the cocktail that is causing harm, is one of the most important things that everybody should do. And not be those who have disease or chronic pain, but I think that's for for everybody. I did not know uh, that I had these problems until I realized that I had high cholesterol, until I realized I was type two diabetes and hypertension, and all of this was building up. But there was no solution for me until I. delve into the root causes of what's causing it what's causing this this uh, lack of safety this feeling of threat and by becoming aware of it which i would call mindfulness or being observing these states and emotions and uh, i love one one quote just to quote you you have to to feel you have to to heal you have to feel right so it's really necessary to and you said this earlier not to repress emotions but to let them come out, express them in different ways and deal with them. And for me, one thing that's really important is dealing with traumatic experiences we've had. And especially going back to the time where we're most um, helpless, which is during our childhood. It's very interesting, the connection between meditation, breath, as well as fear. Because when we're afraid, we lack breath. We stop short of breath, right? We have to hold our breath in many cases. And that is something that I see kind of uh, a connection between the moment you come into the world where everything seems like a threat when you're born. And that is that lack of breath that comes out. And we basically, when we are in, in, in stressful situations, we go into fetal position, you know, that's like ingrained in us. And by being able to deal with that threat and say, you know what, the environment is not going to harm me. I feel safe. I feel connected with who I am, with my, Uh, authentic self, which I would call it here, then problems could be solved. And um, a lot of the issues too, like when we look at obesity, when we look at, again, a lot of these issues that are related, food related as well, is in many parts also emotional because we find out that people who are emotional eaters who deal with, use food to deal with their anxiety and problems, they usually have other problems as well. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle, I believe.
1: Well, th- let me work again and trying to change this paradigm because this is a yeah. hugely difficult paradigm to, to change, yeah. but this is the essence of this problem and essence of the solution. So most people think anxiety in terms of a psychological construct. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair statement? That is correct. Okay. So it turns out that's simply not true. So mm-hmm. I spent 13 years in psychotherapy trying to solve this relentless anxiety that happened to me. I from being a fearless surgeon suppressing anxiety to a panic attack. And for the next 15 years i could not put that genie back in the bottle could not do it Mm -hmm. so what i eventually found out is that when you're under threat your body has this chemical reaction we talked about Mm -hmm. that's you know chemistry and inflammation and all sorts of stuff and that sensation is intended to be incredibly unpleasant Mm -hmm. because it's going to force you to survive right Mm -hmm. so my cat has the same reaction to a threat Mm -hmm. humans have the same reaction to a threat but we have language And so the word we use to call that reaction is anxiety. Mm -hmm. So it's just a descriptive term for that reaction. So it's the result of a threat, it's not the cause. And the reason why it's so critical is that this unconscious survival reaction processes about 20 million bits of information per second, 20 million. The conscious brain processes 40. 40. It's 20 million versus 40. So I spent 13 years in talk therapy I thought if I just really understood my past and quote, work through it, I would be better. It turns out that your brain, so the key to this, the key is neuroplasticity and that your brain will develop wherever you place its attention. And so by discussing the problem over and over and over again, I was actually reinforcing it. Mm-hmm. So I got way worse trying to quote, solve it. So it's really critical to be aware of the past, its impact, and then you have to separate and then construct a new brain. So what happens the way you solve chronic pain is actually you don't solve the past. You actually look forward to what you want to achieve. Then your brain actually develops in that direction just like an athlete learning a skill. Mm -hmm.
0: I I agree with you, but I think the kind of misconception here is because I actually do not really, um, uh, I'm not in favor of CBT. Uh, I prefer something like getting to the root problem. And what you're saying with CBT, I completely agree with you because you are using thoughts to deal with thoughts, but it's not really getting to the emotions. And the thoughts that you're dealing with is basically, or emotions you're dealing with are your thoughts about the emotions. And so for me, it's, and this is, I, I love to use psychoanalysis in that sense, of getting to the root problem beyond words, beyond thinking. And once that comes out, once that becomes conscious, and I'm not sure I feel about the unconscious, but once it becomes conscious, then you solve a lot of problems. A lot of fears fade away once you come to that realization. But it's not a thought process because if you think more about it, I agree, you get trapped even more in it. The, the closest I can explain that would be through like uh, through Zen where in Zen you meditate and all these thoughts come up, these feelings come up, but all you do is you're basically aware of them. And through these thoughts, you kind of basically in a way, purify yourself. You get rid of those fears. You realize that they're not real fears. They're just based on misperception, misconceptions, ideas that we've had, experiences that we've had, that we didn't express in its time. And now it's coming back in different forms. And one of my perceptions, I think, why I'm talking about this at this stage of my life and not perhaps 20 years ago, because 20 years ago, I had a stronger defense system where I could control those emotions. I had everything under control. And suddenly, when you get older, I think the de- defenses kind of get get weaker over time. And now they're, they're seeping through. And that's why that's probably the main reason why people have midlife uh, crises, because of these emotions they did not deal with. And once you deal with that, once you process it, and just to use here, uh, computer uh, uh, technology, terminology, once you process those emotions, it's liberating. And I love the title that you have of back in control because basically you were in control. You could be in control, but you're giving away that freedom. You're compelled to do things. You don't feel free. And uh, who compels you, it comes from your parents, it comes from your teachers, it comes from uh, peers, it comes from uh, your boss, your bosses, from your work, and you don't feel free to express yourself. And by this, I mean the authentic self, the part of you that is truly you, beyond the image that you give, beyond the idea I am an instructor or you're a surgeon, much more beneath that. That is what I think we need to tap into. And um, I've, I've seen a lot of success doing that over the past two years. So you basically, basically you have the confidence, basically you have that connectedness, but it's like a um, cloudy day. The sun is there, but it's, it's, it's clouded over. And the cloud is these misconceptions, these ideas that we have, these fears that accumulate. Once these go away, you can, you can shine. And that is, I think, also seeing from a spiritual perspective what, what the Buddha talked about, for instance, of clearing, purifying, getting rid of those things that hold you back. And suddenly you realize, I am free. I am liberated. I do not have to deal. This fear is not coming back because it never really was there. It was just my illusion of fear that I had. I am safe and I am who I am because of that. And when that happens, it's just a very liberating experience that is uh, an epiphany, basically. And uh, everything falls into place. It, it's hard to describe in words, but and that's why where they say those who follow psychoanalysis, once they've experienced that, it is truly life-changing. And they become, become like uh, strong proponents for that because they say, it's. It, it's something that's changed a person's life, and it
1: really saves you from, in many ways. Yeah. So, so let me. Um, I think this. Let me just back way up the conversation. So, I actually had the opposite experience with you. So, my thirteen years were psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. and things got way worse.
0: Okay.
1: And what pulled me out of it was CBT. Mm-hmm. So, but so, so let me just point out something. So, it's not like I'm right and you're wrong, or you're right and I'm wrong. So, so here's the key to solving chronic pain. Mm-hmm. So chronic pain is complicated and there's three parts to solving it. One of them is understanding the problem, in other words, the nature of how the brain's programmed. Mm -hmm. So we're all programmed by our past. If we came from a chaotic, dangerous dangerous past, more things in the present seem dangerous because when you were a kid, they were dangerous. So the comparison is like a feral cat compared to a domestic cat, you're just hyper alert. Mm -hmm. So understanding the nature of chronic pain, Number two, understand the nature of the solutions. And number three, understanding who you are. Those are, that's the first section. So awareness is number one. The second part is chronic pain is complex. It's affected by sleep, stress, medications, exercise, all these things affect pain. So the second part of it is, you, is that you have to address every one of those simultaneously like fighting a forest fire. Then the third part, which is the most critical is that you take control. So, cause you're individual, you have a complex problem, individual person So it's awareness, addressing every aspect simultaneously and you taking control. So what happens is that the book I wrote called Back in Control is a framework that breaks things out into its different parts. And so there's this part of your life that was difficult. And so it happens, you're different than I am. So your solution will be different than mine. Mm -hmm. So that's why each person takes control. So for you, psychoanalysis was wonderful. For me, it was a disaster. For you, CBT was not so helpful. For me, it was helpful, but I want to go back to the second section, which you treat every aspect at the same time. It turns out that everything helps in chronic pain, but nothing works in isolation. So CBT can help 20, 30% or psychoanalysis. Sleep is a big deal. Exercise is a big deal, anti-inflammatory diet. So what happens is that the doc journey is a framework. It takes a bright light that you can't see what's in it. Everybody's light is different. So it breaks that light into component parts. So your spectrum is different than mine. So once you see your spectrum, I see mine. What the book does allows you to break your problem into workable solutions. And then as you address them, chronic pain becomes a very solvable problem. What's exciting to me is that it's very self-directed. Um, most of my patients have not seen psychologists, even though I do prefer psychologists when I can use them. And again, the problem is we tend to put all the eggs into one basket, like it's psychological, or it's exercise, or it's sleep, or it's acupuncture, et cetera. All of them help. Yes. All yes, of them contribute with that. Right. Right. Completely. So yeah. the key issue is what you did, you took control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so as you take control, it helps calm down the inflammatory yeah. response.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's what I love, the holistic method. I mean, this is, uh, I'm not here just, just talking about psychonath, which has worked for me, of course, but it's, it's, I like the way of looking at the problem from all the different angles. That's one thing. So it's not just like your body. That, that is what I see as a problem with the medical model, medical field today. There are, uh, thank goodness, people like you who are expanding it, who are opening it up to, to other perspectives. And, um, and there's more and more and it's like even like major institutions are looking at that they're developing it they're doing research and they're not as skeptical about it than they used to be. Still, it's not still as as good as it could be, but The, the problem again, like you said about the body and mind, I, I do think they are incorporated together, but again, it goes further than that. It's our environment, it's our past, it's our present, it's um, um, uh, society, it's what we ate today and so on. So these all these looked at, you can find what is the problem. And once you deal with all of these aspects, the problem should disappear because it was one of them. And for me, it's not so much to find out really which one it was maybe i am for me it was something else that uh, solved the problem for me it's more the results and i am working to come up with yeah these are things that work for me i do intermittent fasting which has helped me tremendously to lose weight but also more importantly to be in control not being driven by food but me being in control of uh, of uh, not eating for a while for for a right. certain amount of time and that is to me, more psychological of like, I'm not driven by it, which was the case before that, before
1: I did that. Well, well intermittent fasting is an interesting subject because what the data shows pretty clearly now is that intermittent fasting is extremely anti-inflammatory. And mm-hmm. so remember, anxiety is just the word that describes inflammation. So mm-hmm. remember, it's the result of stress, it's not the cause. And so the sensation you get from an inflamed nervous system and high metabolism, et cetera, it's just a description of your body's neurochemical state. So I always ask people the question, well, if if anxiety is not psychological, it's not separate to rational control, how do you decrease anxiety? And the answer is you lower your inflammatory markers. So intermittent fasting would do that. Mm -hmm. A sense of control would do that. So at the end of the day, again, it's 20 million bits of information per second compared to 40. Plus, if you didn't have anxiety, you wouldn't survive more than two or three minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's there. It keeps you alive, it's how we evolved. So the way I look at a person, I've been through all sorts of phases of this, is to develop a working relationship with it. Mm -hmm. It's necessary. You would not survive without it more than a few minutes. It's how we evolved, it's how we survive. So as you learn to process it, and I use, again, use the word working relationship with anxiety, if you don't fight it, it starts to atrophy and becomes less of a problem. It's not going to go away. So the efforts taken to get rid of it or suppressing it basically, or to fix it, actually reinforces it. So I developed a pro- I developed one metaphor called the ring of fire where the outside blue ring is life, fun, friends, accomplishments, etc. The red ring is anxiety and frustration and the green ring is the green center is safe and content. So it's important to be in the safe content mode a lot to regenerate, but that's not life. Life is in the blue. But if you're in the green and relax and' you're going to go out and start a new job or go to work or take a trip, there's always anxiety every day. You have to cross that red ring red ring all day long, back and forth. So that's what's the learned skill that we have taught people is to learn to be with anxiety, be okay with it, not fight it, And then you pointed out something that's a whole different topic. Um, You you actually, you talked about, I mean, you gave some really nice insights on about 10 different things that each one is its own discussion. But um, as you learn to tolerate this uncomfortable feeling, it's never gonna be comfortable. But as as you're okay being with uncomfortable feelings and emotions, they start losing their power. And you mentioned Zen Buddhism, which is exactly what that does. And for some people, it works beautifully. Um, we have found it's not been a great starting place for a lot of people with chronic pain because they're just such a desperate shape. They can't actually get there very easily. So we do a process called expressive writing, which I call mechanical meditation, where you simply write down the thoughts and separate from, that, separate from them that way. Whereas in meditation, you watch the thoughts come in, you watch them go out, and you separate that way. Either way works. Meditation is a wonderful long-term solution. Um, some people can start with it. But this expressive writing has been a very, very powerful, deeply researched starting point that is the one place that we start with everybody in, the, in this whole doc journey.
0: Um, they, I think one, one disagreement would be with discomfort. Because for me, it's like, um, I would avoid discomfort. I would avoid uncomfortable situations. You would have basically this comfort zone and not step out of it. Because basically, I was afraid of this, of right. it, of going outside. And then um, that's actually also how it all started for me. And it's, there's like a sense of like, I don't want to go there. And there was this resistance. But I did the opposite. I actually faced it. I, I went through it. And it is very uncomfortable. It is, and you talk about panic attacks, yes. Um, but what happens is basically, this is like the, the pressure cooker that's been building and now it needs to release itself. And it finds different ways of doing it and don't stop at that point. I mean, yeah. that, well, I speak for myself and I, I go further. And I fell to discomfort again, and it comes up again, and I face it again, and it's just like like fear itself for me. It's like the more you face it, the more you walk it, like an athlete. The more you do it, it becomes easier. I'm not saying that uh, we should avoid fear. I'm not saying like being reckless or or anything like that. But I'm saying that recognize it for what it is, and um, it's not as threatening. As modern life, I mean, it seems like it will follow media and it, it seems, uh, unless you're in a, in, a, in a zone that is, uh, that is uh, very dangerous, but modern life is not as, as dangerous as we perceive it to be. And we see things, we have to kind of separate also the things that are a threat, a real threat, and things that are not. And we are driven in our society by succeeding. And this is like pushing us. And we forget to have that balance between our life and work. And we're worried about the job and we want that promotion. And all of these create anxiety that I think is not really necessary. The fear of errors. I mean, I used to be, I used to be because I don't think I am to that extent a perfectionist. And I realized that that is actually not a sign of strength It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of insecurity, of not trusting yourself, of being afraid of of screwing up, of failing. And that's why not trying out. And that kind of fear is not real. That kind of fear is actually limiting. And I think by dealing with that, you can step out. I can be afraid of many things, but then Mm -hmm. I realized, no, this is not the case. This is just my perception of it. These are fears that I've been carrying along for for many, many years that have come part of my makeup. And I don't want it to be there because it is not me. This was put on by other forces. My experiences, uh, family experiences, teachers, everything that's kind of accumulated. And in many cases, it's not even my own fears, it's other people's fears that I've taken on. And to me, that is what psychoanalysis does. It separates it and says, you know what? This was the issue. This is your perception. And I think I I love that you are dealing with the backbone because that's the backbone of life. We are, that's what's sustaining us and symbolically and consciously, that is such a huge part of us. And that's why so many people have back pain, including me, where I used to have back pain. And um, that fear, that stress, that dangerous cocktail, that inflammation, Um, caused uh, uh, regular headaches and migraines, which I had pretty much on a weekly basis. And I I took notes of that. Mm -hmm. And now I haven't had one in four months. And to me, that is fascinating because it's, what did I do? And that is really, I just dealt into different, it could have been intermittent fasting, it could have been psychoanalysis, it could have been something completely different, but I'm gonna put everything together and give you the whole package and you can choose what works for you and why not. But for me, this has been very effective. And um, as as a diabetic, I was in diabetic classes and they actually told me not to pursue intermittent fasting, which I thought, you know what, I know this could be dangerous. I know I, uh, there's, there's fear involved, but I'm going to do it because I watched uh, a video by Mark Matson who talks about it and exactly that your body basically heals by not eating. So you are, your genes are uh, regenerating. They're healing themselves. You give your body a break, a pause from eating from that sugar that keeps coming in. And uh, that was the opposite of what they told me. They said, you should have five meals. You should be careful, be afraid, your blood sugar is low, it's too high and so on. And I just stopped with that. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go my own path. And um, last time I checked, I'm doing much better. Hopefully in the near future, it'd be completely gone and I would be healed from it. To me, that is mainly of this repository of, uh, of fear, of trauma, of like being afraid. And generally how a person feels is really important. And doctors don't take that enough into consideration. I mean, they, I'm feeling great. And I can say that because I did not feel great even though I thought I was, but now I feel the big difference between the two. So there's so much that, um, I think one of the problems is many people go to see a doctor or psychologist here, a mental health professional when they have an issue. Right? So, I have, you say, I have depression. I'm getting up. I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to work. By that time, it's actually a, a bit late because you see it coming in many ways. But so many of us are living in that mild depressive zone where we don't enjoy life, where we don't take part in it. We don't, we do our job, but we don't really feel anything, a zombie state. And that seems to be okay because people say, okay, well, I don't have a health problem, right? But I think they are deluding themselves. I think there is so much more that we can break through. And that is what, uh, my, uh, what my experience has been, of breaking up to that and, and waking up and actually hearing the birds singing, which before I, I did not, right? You just block out everything and you just like in this small zone that is artificially created by yourself. And then you open up and you say, I enjoy everything even the bad stuff, even fear itself, because it gives me an opportunity. I'm not afraid of failing. I actually see it as a challenge, right? So I think that is, um, to me, that has been um, extremely helpful. And it goes beyond telling myself. It's not positive thinking because it's beyond thought. It's just like a core feeling. I, I am in control. I got this. And it's basically taking me to a point of my life before um, uh, when I was younger, probably before grade five, where I felt very free and I could express myself in any way I'd like, but then with the pressure of school, you have to behave well, you have to do this. It just kind of, I got intimidated by that. But now I'm, I'm, I'm basically going back to the same state and no, I'm less afraid of things. Not completely gone, but less afraid of people, I don't see them as a threat. I I talk to them and I can express my thoughts, whether they agree with me or not, that does not matter. It's the, the conversation that matters. It's that connection that exists between between two people. And I never realized that before. Before it was, I need to be right, you need to be wrong. But at this point, it doesn't matter. Right.
1: So quick question, how long, how long were you in chronic pain I was uh, not necessarily
0: in, in well headache. I think that would be my chronic pain and that, that, that was for um, uh, years. I would okay. say about, uh, especially with my workload. I think it was closely tied with that. Hey, um, what, kind of, what kind of work do you do? I'm an instructor. I, I'm I teach sorry, what? Instructor. I teach languages. Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. What languages and, do you teach? Um, I am currently French. Right. Okay. Uh, cool. And yeah, and uh, soon uh, Spanish. So I speak five languages, so I I, I love them quite wow. a bit. So,
1: well, what, yeah. what languages do you speak? Uh, German as well. I grew up in Germany. Wow, so, that's amazing. Yeah. I can't. I can really speak English, so I'm impressed. Um, yeah, I mean, I it's, it's interesting. Um, so anyway, I I know. I mean, you've covered a lot of topics really qu- quickly, but al- and also Very clearly. So though. yeah. So yeah. I mean, I think. All I can say is that um, you have done your own style of the work that we present to people. And again, we put together, I've probably seen over 1500 patients go through stories like yours. Um, And what's exciting and what you're finding out is that when people break out of this process, being trapped by this reactive survival mechanism that we call anxiety, why not only do people break loose of their pain, they thrive. Yes. And that's what keeps me going because you know most doctors do not, do not like treating chronic pain because they don't know how to do it. And what happened to me in the last five years of my practice became by far, by far and away the most rewarding part of my practice because people would not only break free from pain, the pain really would go away, um, but they were so excited, just like you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, again, at least 1,500 patients broke out of the pathways like you did Everybody did it in their own way. And so that's how we had the book called Back in Control. Plus I had a website called backincontrol.com. But this last month, we released this new version called the DLC Journey, which really represents the pathways of people who were successful. It starts with people's disbelief, by the way. Then we bring in hope, some basic foundational skills. Then we work on addressing anxiety then awareness and then anger. The reason why that sequence occurs because anger and anxiety are the same thing. So what happens if you're threatened, you become anxious Mm -hmm. and then you solve the threat and, and you move on. If you're trapped or can't solve the threat, then your body kicks in more stress chemicals and you become angry. So anger is really just anxiety with a chemical kick. The reason I put awareness between anxiety and anger is that when you are angry, you have no awareness. It's destructive, it's designed to be your last-ditch effort to survive. And what's a problem is that the essence of human relationships is awareness. So awareness completely, anger completely blocks awareness. And then again, the anxiety-anger axis is really critical. It's also necessary for life. So that's the sequence of the doc journey, which has been extremely successful where much better able to explain it people are getting better much faster and more consistently and it, you know i quit my surgical practice to do this i could not watch people get surgically hurt on a consistent basis and then watch so many people just go to pain free with really no resource i mean how much how much risk have you taken i'm assuming you bounced around the medical system for a while is that a first statement mm-hmm. and and you're fine mm-hmm. you know in in in, in a way It wasn't that hard Mm -hmm. is that a fair statement
0: it's 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 hard to um well actually probably the hardest part is uh not finding the support not being accepted or believed but at some point is you do have to go your own path at some point you do have to trust your intuition your gut feeling and i I love the connection that we have now between the brain and the uh, the gut basically and that there is communication there And there is also the idea of polyvagal uh, theory, which uh, I don't know much about, but uh, maybe you can also uh, tell me about that. If uh, uh, what you think of it? But that kind of connection of like that, that your body is a whole system that is connected. And so with intuition, it's something that that's the right feeling and that I know beforehand, what is the right choice? Even if it doesn't, I don't see it much later. So it's like uh, an unconscious, Place that you can go to that gives you the answers and then that guides you and it is actually the correct direction. Just quickly before uh, I get to a question here, uh, with anger, I completely agree with you. And it basically terrifies me how much anger there is in the world. And just even on social media and uh, I post something and then there's all these responses and everything. And I'm seeing that as, as a serious issue, health issue, mental health issue if you like. And that so many people are not dealing with their anger and it comes out in these ways. And the problem with anger is you don't listen to the voice of reason. And Mm -hmm. I heard that you cannot reason with an angry person because their blood pressure is so high that they won't be able
1: to perceive you. They won't hear you. It's like- Can can I stop you for a second? Can I stop you for a second? So technically you're right, but it's not the blood pressure being elevated. What happens when you're angry is that Mm -hmm. the blood gets shunted to your muscles. Mm -hmm. and it's a survival mechanism right Mm -hmm. so two things happen your inflammatory cytokines in your brain fire up so your brain's inflamed Mm -hmm. but the blood supply shifts away from the thinking centers and it goes to the midbrain so all of a sudden when you're angry you can't think straight well guess what there's no blood supply to the thinking center so it's it's not a blood pressure issue as much as a shift
0: sure yeah, fight, fight and fight and flight, right? So that right. your your body's uh, become becomes ready to to uh, confront the other person, right. and then right. you can't think, you can't reason. Absolutely, right. I, I completely agree with that. And so that I mean that is the issue too. And now I it doesn't mean that I don't get angry, but it's like an angry with mindfulness. And if you want to be angry, just like be it. Don't fight against it. Don't feel bad about it. And then you say, well, why did I get angry in the first place? Because it doesn't matter again. It's not something that is of huge importance, which I thought previously was of huge importance. Yep.
1: So I do have one little saying is that when you are angry, it really truly is temporary insanity. I agree.
0: I agree. It is. It absolutely is. And
1: so I do have a little saying, and all of us get angry. I mean, getting rid of anger is not one of the goals of this project. But I do have a little saying that I really say to myself pretty much every day is that no action in a reaction. When you're angry, you're reacting to something, something got triggered inside of you and you're reacting. So your blood supplies to your brain is off. It's dangerous, it's destructive. And as you know, nobody solves anything when you're angry. So that's the first rule of engagement with anger is just stop, just get out of the room, don't engage let the blood supply re-engage with the thinking center of your brain. So there's the reaction and then the problem, but you can't always really solve the problem until the reaction has passed. So that's my little mantra is no action in a reaction.
0: Yeah, I, I see it also like uh, people who are angry are on the defensive. It's, that's the way of protecting themselves. Right. And uh, you're defensive because you're afraid that the other person might be right. So you choose the opposite reaction of, of fighting against that because there's right. something within yourself that you don't want to realize and accept. And you are, and again, so this is more psychoanalysis, you're projecting that onto the other person. Yep. And so the other person has nothing to do with you and once that becomes like you realize that that they are their judgment has no um, uh, repercussions on me I don't have to defend myself I do something because I believe it's the right thing to do and I don't have to explain myself but people who are uh, who are insecure who are anxious who are feeling threatened that's exactly their reaction and and I noticed that and then before reacting to that and that's a that pause, that awareness, it's like, I'm not gonna fall into that trap. No, right. no, not anymore. Because not only am I aware of it, but I've actually broken free from it. I'm liberated right. from it to a large degree. Again, I'm not, uh, I'm on the path of enlightenment perhaps, but I'm not there yet. And who knows if I will be, but right. it feels that kind mm. of liberation that I talked about earlier, that's exactly it. Right. It can choose to engage you, but I can also choose not to, I'm not compelled. And if I right. do, it's gonna be my choice Right, to a large degree. Again, right. we're not completely in control of our lives, but right. to a large degree, we can be. Right. And to very minimal degree, most people are not in control. And even if they think they are, they are not. Right, A lot of people, right? So yep. majority
1: perhaps. Totally, yeah. yep, yeah. no, I agree.
0: Can, can you, um, I don't know much about the polyvagal theory. Uh, do you uh, believe in it? Is that, does that make sense? Can you explain it so,
1: so, So about a year and a half ago, Dr. Stephen Porges um, yeah. and I became friends. So we, we actually oh, cool. meet, we actually meet every week and we discuss different neuroscience topics. Okay. And so I did not, did not know much about the polyvagal theory until about a year and a half ago. And then I emailed him, he emailed me back. His wife, Sue Carter, is a world international expert on oxytocin, which is anti-inflammatory. But the bottom line is, is that the um, polyvagal theory is, is about the vagus nerve. That's the 10th cranial nerve of the brain. And when we say cranial nerves, there's nerves that come off the spinal cord, then there's nerves that come directly off the brain. So there's 12 cranial nerves with the vagus nerve being the 10th one. The vagus nerve is a conduit between your nervous system and everything in the autonomic nervous system. And we say autonomic is because it's automatic. So your respiratory rate, cardiac rate, blood pressure, electrolyte balance, hormonal balance, immune system, stomach function, bladder function are all modulated by the vagus nerve. So there's two parts of the vagus nerve. One is to do with consciousness and facial expression. The other one runs the organs below the diaphragm. So when you're in a fight or flight mode, it's mostly sympathetic tone to increase your blood pressure, heart rate, et cetera, that's adrenaline, cortisol, histamines, those type of inflammatory chemicals are in play. Then the vagus nerve is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite, is the calming effect. So what I learned from Dr. Portis, who's wonderful by the way, is that when you're doing things like meditation and mindfulness, certain sounds of music, you're directly stimulating the vagus nerve. In other words, those are, those are not psychological interventions, those are physiological. So, you're, so the vagus nerve is strongly anti-inflammatory. So what you're doing, you're stimulating the what's called the ventral nucleus of the vagus nerve, which is a very powerful anti-inflammatory process. Because remember the immune system fired up, <clears throat> just fires up your whole body. So the best way to calm it down is through the vagus nerve. So humming stimulates the seventh cranial nerve in the back of your throat which is connected to the vagus nucleus. So there's certain pitches of music that stimulate the fifth and seventh nerves, which are also connected to the vagus nerve. Now people will rub their foreheads when they're stressed. That's the fifth cranial nerve, which again, attached to the vagus nerve. So anyway, the, what we've learned, which is exciting to me, is that when I'm talking to you about your anxiety, it just means a heightened sympathetic response. And Dr. Porter just hates the word anxiety. It's just a word. So the bottom line, you just have this survival response. And so his thing is, and my thing now is, is that I use anxiety as a bridge word, but the bottom line is all I'm trying to do is to calm down that inflammatory reaction. So cold washcloth, rubbing your forehead, humming, mindfulness meditation. We always I always put those into a psychological domain and it's not, it's physiological. You're just dropping down the inflammatory markers. So it's been very powerful for me and my patients, realize that okay, my hum, not some psychological distraction, is very powerfully anti-inflammatory. It's been a remarkable year getting to know him.
0: No, that's fascinating, and I love the 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 um, details that you can give scientific details because I I, I do not have that knowledge, and I'm not uh, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor or a physician or anything. I'm not a psychologist either. That's not my profession. But I think just to clarify to you what, and I think why. The the, um, difference here, we have different conceptions. It's actually pretty much probably the same. Because when I'm I'm talking about psychology, I am talking about the mind, but I don't see it separate as the body. And it's not like this is over that. And maybe uh, our conversation started off with that uh, maybe misconception that I think the mind is controlling the body and so on. For me, everything needs to be in balance. And it's when it's out of whack that we have a problem. So the uh, we need to have the breaks and the go, and they need to be in in a state of uh, uh, balance of equilibrium. So we we don't just like stop or we just keep going. We just have to find the correct balance between the two.
1: Can I reframe what you're saying just for a second? Sure. So no. So right from the beginning, we've we've been on the same page exactly. Okay. Good. Okay. Okay. So so but the terminology does make a difference. It does. So so just remember is that your, your brain is just interpreting the environment. It's just all, so you have all these sensory re- receptors, touch, feel, hot, cold, vision, sight, sound, smell, your brain's taking all this sensory input in, then every second they're all competing for attention. Mm-hmm. So it's the sum total, this is neutral, safety or danger, What your body automatically does it behaves in a way that keeps you neutral. When I'm sitting in the chair I'm automatically shifting, my pupils constrict if I look at a light, my heart rate changes based on the environment. So my brain's processing the environment. And when you feel pain, just, it just means there's there's, a, there's enough of the influences in your environment now signal danger. Pain just signals danger. People, some, people somehow think pain is some outside process and it's just the brain's interpretation of the signals or sensory input. It,
0: and it's completely useful. I mean, you need to know the pain because it's alerting you to something right. that there's a problem there in this body part or you have a toothache. Watch right. out, go to the dentist, you know? So right. it, it, it's extremely useful. And right. I think like even our, our emotional pain, our depression, our anxiety attacks, panic attacks and everything, that's a sign of the body. It's giving you a signal. It's it's not bad in itself. It's actually the opposite in many well, ways trying to help us
1: can I stop you there for a second again Uh, okay so that's true and not true so the problem is that a lot of our like you just pointed out Mm -hmm. okay so if I was raised in a very safe nurturing background my environment now is easier because I'm not interpreting the current environment as dangerous so I get to live a better life if your brain was programmed by the past to be dangerous it is like that feral cat so your brain's reacting like crazy to the same if you and I are in the same room you might be totally calm and I might be freaking out. Why? So the danger is not real for either one of us. You've perceived it as safe, I perceived it as whatever it is. So a lot of our reactions are based on our perception of the environment, which can be flawed. So that's where cognitive behavioral therapy comes in, that's where psychoanalysis comes in. So by understanding what, and you said this a couple of times, so by understanding what's actually a real threat versus a threat manufactured by your mind, is that your brain's going to react the same either way? You saw that. So whether it's a perceived threat or a real threat, it doesn't matter. So the problem is like perfectionism, for instance. You're never good enough. You're yeah. always under threat.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So again, understanding that a lot of these neurochemical reactions. So the word psyche is that consciousness that comes into your into your. It, in other words, the psyche is one of those sensations that comes into your body that your brain interprets, just like hot and cold, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. So again, the psyche is the input. Anxiety is that reaction. Mm-hmm. So anxiety is not the input, is that reaction that's described, I'm sorry, anxiety is a word that describes that survival reaction. So once you understand that it is the result of this input, not the cause of it, you're right, anxiety is necessary but when it's chronic and based on cognitive distortions or past experiences that aren't real, then it's actually destructive. It's not so useful. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, no, it is. I'm not saying that it's not destructive, but I'm saying it's a sign. It's like a message. It's telling you something. It's like your, your, your body's here to help you to communicate something. Your mind is communicating, look, I'm not happy. I wait. need something else.
1: Well, but, but wait. what I'm saying though, if the signals that are coming in are distorted signals, that's not useful, right? It's not useful, but
0: then it's kind of a push. It's like let's get this right. Let's get rid of the distortion. I, can't, I see it
1: in that sense. That's like, you know, so you, it's something. So, yeah. so, you can't get rid of it. Now you can process it and reframe yeah. it. I mean, we're saying the same thing. Yeah. So you, yeah. remember, you can't suppress your thoughts and emotions. You can't no. control them. Yes. But if you understand them and reframe yeah. them, yes. it has a different impact on your nervous system. That's all. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, so probably I would not use reframe. I would use process and clarify. I don't know if that makes sense. Clarify no, it. No. Then yeah, to no. me that because reframing is like okay, I'm replacing something with something else, but it's still. I'm not sure if that really solves the uh, the problem there. Another thing I'd like to a point i like to make is not just the fear itself, but we're afraid of fear, and that is a secondary fear that all of us carry around with us. So it's not the event, but we're afraid of being afraid in that event. And that makes things like, it stifles us. It stifles us but, in, in-
1: But, but in see depression. again, so I put, so anxiety is a big word. Yeah. So underneath that word anxiety, there's alert, nervous, afraid or fear. Yes. Paranoid, terrified. Yes. So fear is just one of the levels of anxiety. Yes. So people somehow differentiate fear and anxiety and fear is just a subset of a degree of anxiety. And you're absolutely correct that fear of fear is still is inflammatory. So we find out somebody's afraid of a certain injury or a certain action, that fear actually inflames the nervous system and you actually do feel the pain more. So paradoxically, that fear of the problem actually truly exacerbates the problem mm-hmm. because it because increases it an inflammatory response. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're dead on with that one also.
0: Mm-hmm. I, uh, I recently heard that taking a cold shower can uh, help people also with depression to a degree. It's actually, some people say it's as effective as um, basically electroshock therapy. And to me, when I, when I think about that, when I hear that, I think, well, why not take that cold shower? And when, when you were talking about, you know, putting a, a cold cloth on your forehead and it relaxes you, same with the cold shower. So you can have using natural non-threatening ways of finding that balance in your body, of helping your body to deal with the emotions, here, physically, physiologically, as well as psychologically, a combination of all of these three things can help you. So if that is true, and I just recently heard that on the radio, if that is true, why are we not encouraging people to do so? What are well, we afraid well, of
1: if it, well, if it shows the results? So I'm actually, so let me just back up for a second again. Okay. So the answer is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, again, remember, the essence of the solution is what works for you. So, in other words, some people just are terrified of cold water. So, it would not work for them. Some people, it does do something different. So, I have heard different things about it. I don't know the right answer. But, see, the key issue is here is that people keep finding for a solution for their pain. Right? Mm-hmm. People, people want to be out of pain.
0: We all want that.
1: Yeah. So, where's your attention? It's on the pain. You cannot fix your pain. So what you're doing is you create a vision of what you want your life to look like. It's like learning a new language. You're not going to learn French by trying to fix your English. You're not going to fix your chronic pain. So what you want to do is you create, create your vision of an enjoyable life. As already called the language is an enjoyable life. And what do I want? What do I want my life to look like? How do I want to pursue it? So that's why you have to let go. There's a bunch of separation processes where you let go of the past and move forward. But if you're trying to fix the problem from a neuroplasticity standpoint, you, you greatly reinforce it. Nice. So that's the key issue here is you're creating a different nervous system within your nervous system. It's like a, desktop, it's like a virtual desktop on your mm-hmm. computer. If you create this new set of circuits, which is not positive thinking, but a positive vision with or without the pain, then you start moving forward. If your goal is to get rid of the pain, you are not gonna solve it. It's not solvable.
0: Yeah, but I, I want to reframe this because my focus is actually not the pain. The pain was, again, the message that something is wrong. My focus has been and is and continues to be healing. That is my focus. And I want healing. I want the absence not only of pain. That's, that's just the first step. I want the enjoyment of life. I want personal satisfaction. I want feeling content, feeling bliss, being in bliss. That is my goal. Right, so it's not fixing a problem.
1: So, so Rash, it's you're gonna kill me here. <laughs>
0: to get to something else. Does that make sense?
1: It does, in a wrong. So you don't have to broadcast this, by the way. Honestly, you can do whatever you want. So I'm I, gonna will, coach- I will. I will. Okay, to, yeah. I'm gonna coach you for a second. So I mean, sure. I I was in this trap for 15 solid years. And I watched thousands of patients go through this. Mm-hmm. So we want less pain, right? Mm-hmm. We want we want more bliss. We want less pain, right? Mm-hmm. So what happens if you is there's a book called The Way to Love by Anthony DeMello, who just defines attachment. Beautiful okay. book written by a Jesuit priest. I'm not religious, but it's a wonderful book on attachment. So, mm-hmm. if you want something more, that's attachment. If you want something, if something feels good, you want something more, that's attachment. If something feels bad, you want less of it, that's attachment. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, the only goal of this project, if you want to call it a goal, is connecting to the moment you're in. So, I think words like happiness is a deadly word. I think self-esteem is a deadly word because you have a definition of what you want. So the, the key issue is here, you just actually connect to what is. And when I say a vision of a good life, that means I, I'm not against that. In other words, I do want to, I want good relationships. I want a fulfillment of with friends and you pursue that. But see the happiness or the contentment or the connection is about connecting to what is in right in front of you. And a lot of it's bad. So you cannot put a bumper on your emotions. In other words, if you don't allow allow yourself to feel really badly, you can't actually feel really good. So what you're doing, you're processing these reactive patterns, then what happens, you, Arash, emerges. You get to be who you are, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. But if you're attached to life being a certain way, Mm -hmm. you're actually trying to solve. So again, you wanna be in less pain, the pain's running the show. If you wanna pursue a certain type of happiness, that's running the show. what it happens it keeps your brain running at a level that you just can't keep up with Hmm. so that's what the hardest part about this project is to really teach people including myself by the way Hmm. and i'm jumping way ahead in the story here with you right now is that the only goal is to connect to this very second right now that's it
0: now we know that intellectually right I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's right. this is this is a problem. And that's why I like Buddhism, because it points to that problem is language, because we are we are trying to use language to express these profound ideas. And what happens with language, the same way, not as people, but our experience with language is different. So when I say a specific word, like let's say stress, anxiety, it has very different connotations for you than it has for me. And right. so that is just communication and it's flawed and it's that's why in Buddhism, they say, don't use language, because if, if I was enlightened I wouldn't be talking right now. And to, I would communicate without words and gestures, but I'm not, right? So, and this is what uh, fall back to. So when I use the word happiness, it's not that I say, I want to become happy. I agree, that's actually a fallacy. I'm trying to look right. for something like that because you're running around in circles. You're chasing your own tail like a dog does. Right. What you want to do is um, you want to know yourself, and know thyself. And this is the philosopher that uh, goes back. And it's not just knowing yourself intellectually, rationally, logically, but actually fully embracing yourself, whoever that self is. And again, that, again, that's what individual, individuality comes into play, because we all have this specific, unique identity. Our DNA is different. I mean, that's fascinating. How, how is that possible, you know? And connecting to that also on a, on a whole level, on your body on your soul and your mind, everything combined, right? I, I think it's, I don't know, it's- Well,
1: Rash, yeah. I, I agree with you. That's a phase of the journey about getting to know yourself. But again, you're, you're the, so, and I know we're saying the same thing in a way, but but in a way different. There is a life beyond all that, where you just get to experience that next second, whatever it is. So you don't, you don't, so Dr. David Burns is a guy who wrote the book, Feeling Good. I went to one of his, one of his workshops. He said this about a hundred times during that week, and I didn't understand it for a while, but he said just over and over and over again, kill, kill your ego, who is this sense of self. And I, and I realize that Buddhism says the same thing, but the problem with Buddhism, which is brilliant, it doesn't necessarily tell you how to get there. That's, that's one of the problems, right? So, right. Right. So what I'm saying is that if you are just committed to connecting with you, with me, yourself, I would use the term connecting more than the word getting to know yourself. Because what happens is there is a world that emerges that I get to it once in a while called peer awareness. You get to experience the next experience, whatever it is. You don't even put a value on it. And so so that's where I'm saying that who you are emerges and you get to watch it. You can't heal yourself, but you can allow yourself to heal. And as you allow that to happen and you start de-energizing the anger and anxiety that covers all this up, you emerge. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so you did say it in one way. And again, I'm just trying to clarify language here. Sure. Cause I mean, you, you're definitely on a strong track you're definitely saying the right things, mm-hmm. but for a lot of people who aren't so far along this journey, cause you've come a long ways. Um, that's why, again, I did write the book and to put this doctrine in place because there's a sequence that you have to go through that you've yeah. been through quite a bit of it, mm-hmm. but it's hard to explain to somebody who's not heard the stuff before. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. And that, that's my sort of mission. I,
0: I think the very first step is like your suffering, your pain, your chronic pain, emotional pain, all of that is good. Right. And that is not saying that you should, um, well, how do I put it? It's because it teaches you, gives you an opportunity, it creates the opportunity, the people who have these, these conditions that um, they can't get out of, and they are stuck with it for their lives. But what that has created is that feeling of empathy, uh, that feeling of connection with others, and perhaps with themselves. And for me, my, uh, my liberation came from suffering. And if it hadn't been for suffering, if I'd had a a pleasant uh, existence for all my life, I probably would not have looked for more. And I'd be like, you know what? I'm satisfied with what I got. But it's that when it kind of rattles you, wakes you up, it shakes you. I agree with that. But it wakes you up. Right, yep. And there's, there's another path. And I think that's what people need to see because I see people who victimize themselves. I see people who blame others. I see people who blame the religion, but blame God. Why is this happening to me? And then you, but that's, that is not accepting responsibility and accepting what is it is trying to tell me and what can I do? And based on reality, again, not a world of fantasy not a world of make-believe, not a world where you just keep saying, no, everything is okay, everything is okay, if it's, even if it's not okay. But finding like yourself, as you said, I just said, and I love that, in the moment, in connection with yourself, in connection with your surrounding, because then the self disappeared. I had the same issue with Buddhism. For many, many years, I did not understand. What do they mean by killing yourself when you see the Buddha, kill the Buddha? I don't think I fully understand it now, but I have a better grasp of it because the self that we perceive is not the real self. In many ways, we delude ourselves. We are creating this persona that in some cases has nothing to do with who we really are. And we find it also in jobs where I find myself in a job where I say, okay, I do this, I like it, but that's not my vocation maybe. That's not what I was meant to do. And uh, where you, kind of choose the easy option because, well, I can I can make money and this is working for me and so on. Instead of taking that step of like, this is my own path. This is the one thing that I can do really well and I need to find it. That I think knowledge many people don't have, including myself, but it's worth, worth digging. It's worth trying to find it, unearth it.
1: Joshua, so it'd be fine for me if, if you're in the mood. I mean, obviously you've come a long ways, you're doing great. So I applaud your journey, by the way. I mean, you did it, basically. You did it your own way and I did it my own way. So mm-hmm. um, I do have this thing called the D.O.C. journey. And what people, what, what it does for people like yourself, um, it just starts filling in the gaps. So you have a lot of uh, sort of a deeper, say, from a neuroscience perspective about what would happen. And as people sort of get that deeper foundation that allows them to move even farther forward, and it's a, again, it's a connecting process, and then you, it allows yourself to grow. So I, I think you'd enjoy it. I think, you'd, I think you would plow right through it really quickly, because um, you, you have so many pieces that are right there that you've already put a lot of it together. Mm-hmm. But um, for a lot of people that have been as far as you have, they've really enjoyed that process of sort of finishing it up a bit. Mm-hmm. Then I also, as I've been doing the journey myself, of course, the growth never stops, so I would say in the last year, I've had as much growth as I've had in the prior five years. And I knew a lot. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. it just—it doesn't really stop the growth process. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. this And is, we don't you know, want
0: it to stop. I don't think no. the moment it stops, then we, we're ready to die. I mean, this is yeah. a, the whole point of it all, I would think. So where, where would you say do you find yourself in, in, in this journey? I mean, uh, how would you... Qualify, yourself, so if, if whatever you want to share, what you feel comfortable sharing with you yourself, like where.
1: So, with. yeah, I mean, I went from being um, crippling anxiety. And if I told you, know, I was suicidal. So, if I had to live the rest of my life in that state of mind, I'd say, fine, I'm out of here. It makes no sense to live your life with this degree of anxiety. So, I, I developed a full blown obsessive compulsive disorder, which is the ultimate anxiety disorder, yeah. intrusive thoughts, crippling anxiety, couldn't sleep. It was just a nightmare. And the prognosis for obsessive compulsive disorder is terrible and I'm fine. And so again, that's why we've been six. And and again, I didn't had no idea that anxiety was physiological, not psychological. Again, I was in psychotherapy myself for 13 solid years which is a lot of psychotherapy and didn't understand neuroplasticity. I didn't understand about learning a new part of the brain. I didn't understand how to calm down the nervous system. So now um, for a long time, I'm fine. I mean, I live my life. I do my thing. I get triggered. I, you become more skilled at the tools. So I get anxious and frustrated, but I don't get triggered as often, but I'm able to use the tools more skillfully. So I'm not in the hole very much. So what's happening, again, I'm, it's upsetting to me that I, that I felt compelled that I'm to quit my surgical practice because I loved being a surgeon. But right now we're doing surgery on anxiety and anger and it doesn't work. So we've seen so many people get better with mineral resources that I've you know committed the rest of my career to actually bringing this message out. That's why I'm incredibly appreciative to be on your podcast and share my message thank with a few people. You. So thank Appreciate you for that. And that's what I'm doing. I'm just mm-hmm. and then I get some bigger concepts which will never happen in my lifetime about just paying doctors that paying doctors actually listen to people would be a huge starting point, but it's a whole different topic. But yeah, right now medicine we're hurting people badly. And we're not helping people. So instead of actually solving disability and anxiety and pain, we're actually causing it. And then after we cause it, we don't help people solve it. So I'm excited about my mission. I feel great myself. I practice the tools every day that I teach my patients. And so I do my writing relaxation. I go through the doctor journey myself. I do group coaching. And so, yeah, life is good.
0: Good for you thank you very much for all the work you're doing I, yeah i mean not only i but everyone appreciates it and um even those who don't they will they will find out i, I think right. one thing that uh, comes out also uh is for me the you don't have to believe in this process right for it to make to for it to work and yep. i think in many ways it's like sometimes we can also i mean because this is a conversation, I, I'm talking about all everything that does come to my mind, my, my feelings and so on. But in many ways, when you're communicating with somebody who, let's say, is on a different level, then, uh, then one can find the language that gets through to them and by, by not using trigger words, like you say, such as anxiety and stress and so on. And um, Thank you so much for being here thank you so much for uh, giving your time to to talk to me and uh i found it fascinating and very stimulating and very informative yeah. it's very insightful it's been such a pleasure talking. yeah to well
1: you. feel free to contact me with questions because it is a huge paradigm shift and you're you're doing a great job so i really appreciate this and yeah we'll stay in touch yes for sure
0: yes i love that thank you so much thank you so much for this conversation take care